Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Jonna Emil, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Jennifer Sheets, President and CEO of Interim Healthcare and Caring Brands International. Jennifer previously served as Chief Clinical Officer and Senior Executive of Clinical Operations, Innovation, Education, and Quality at Bayada Home Health. She also currently serves on the Board for Home Healthcare Leadership Advisory, the Lincoln Group, the American Lung Association, Virginia College, and is also a Board of Visitors, members for Charleston Southern University. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So can you start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and really what led to your interest in home health care and, and interim health and maybe what interim health is? Sure, sure. So I actually began my career, believe it or not, as a trauma and transplant ICU nurse. Nice. <laughs> I'm a nurse too. <laughs> That's awesome. It feels like ages ago, but honestly, starting my career as a registered nurse really made me aware of the dedication and the heart that it takes to serve others in the healthcare environment. It's not an sure. easy job. I mean, that's for sure. And you, you understand that uh, as well as anybody, but I truly understand the sacrifices that nurses make. I remember it. I never want to forget what it was like to work, you know, night shift in ICU thinking, <laughs> Nobody in administration has a clue who I am and the sacrifices that I'm making. And <laughs> yeah. so I, I really try to make sure that I keep that at the forefront of everything I do. But I appreciate, of course, from the nursing perspective, the hard work that, that's put in when caring for patients. And quite frankly, at, at some of the most critical times in, in people's lives, you know, I truly believe that nurses have a calling to serve. I agree. Yeah, I do. I, I see who who would on their own just say, yeah, I want this really hard job, right? It's, it's a <laughs> calling. And I see it every day in the nurses and caregivers I work with, you know, across the country. So I've said it before, but I'll say it again. They, they are the heartbeat of our company, certainly. And they should be the heartbeat. They are the heartbeat of any healthcare organization, in my opinion. But yeah, <laughs> that's a little more than what you asked for at the beginning. But for my career, I've been in healthcare my entire career. So progressing from those early days in ICU through, you know, various roles in, in hospital administration post, you know, ultimately serving as the CEO of several large hospitals before moving into the home health and hospice world. And quite frankly, what moved me into the home health and hospice world was having my own home health and hospice story. So my father unfortunately passed away as the result of a clinical error. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. You know, made in the hospital should never have happened. So I actually shifted my focus on what role can I play to best impact the quality of care delivery for people across the world. And so I moved into home health and hospice space because I know that that is where people want to be. It's where the, the outcomes are better. And it's how we can keep people from from even needing you know, to go into the hospital in a lot of situations. But it's also so process driven. Get it right, do it right every time, you know, and and patients will benefit. So I switched careers at that point, or not careers, but settings, because, you know, home health and hospice was the opportunity to reach, you know, multiple, multiple locations, more of a global footprint and the ability to influence rather than my hospital of call it 5,000 nurses influence, you know, at the time, the U.S. was 60,000 nurses. And so that was the transition that, that I had made in, into that world. But 
So, you know, from my opinion, although I no longer work at the bedside, I, I maintain my continuing education requirements, as you know, so those aren't necessary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I maintain my multi-state license today. I'll never let it go. And like I said, I never want to forget how important that bedside role is and all that I learned, you know, in my nursing path, empathy, problem solving, communication, advocacy, all the things that come along with a nursing career that I use every day in my role as a CEO. And I think it gives me an advantage to have that, the the care and the nursing background in an operations role. I love that you said that. You know, one of the things sometimes that I hear from other nurses in the field, regardless of, you know, what sector they're working in, and students too, nursing students, that there's this idea you have to be way up here and and very disconnected from what you did as a nurse when you first entered. And it's hard to express that those skills are invaluable and they follow you everywhere. And what you just said was amazing. And I hope that everybody hears that piece because that stuff really does help to build your character and gives you some of the experiences that will come back in a different way when you do climb that professional ladder to other roles. That's awesome. I agree with you completely. And In my opinion, leadership, good leadership, regardless of what level you're at, is all about a commitment to service. You know what I mean? And I I come from a long line of servant leaders, some in education, some in advocacy, some in government. And for me, it was always about a call and a focus to impacting our communities or our world for the better. Whatever world you're in, whatever scope, whatever business, if you're focused on those things, you're going to draw from the skills that you learn being at the bedside. for me, obviously, I was drawn to service and impacting delivery of care to ensure that people have access to high quality, most efficient levels of care that they deserve. And for somebody else, regardless of what your call and your servant you know, heart is, that's the key to good leadership, in, in my opinion. And you just said it, right? And that that is so fundamental in nursing and everything that you do in yep. nursing and absolutely should carry forward. I love that. What's the relationship between interim healthcare and caring brands international, especially considering that story that you told us and talking about leadership, what's that synergy there? Yeah, so interim healthcare is the largest of three brands that make up caring brands international. So there's three companies. The beautiful thing is that they are all three the number one companies in their country. So we have interim healthcare, which operates in the United States and Saudi Arabia. We have Bluebird Care in the UK and Ireland and Just Better Care in Australia. So collectively, Caring Brands International provides service to over 200,000 people in 575 locations across eight countries. I play a dual role. So I play the the role of CEO of Caring Brands International as well as the CEO of Interim Healthcare. All right. Awesome. So you took that over in 2019. You took that role on. Is that right? Today is my two-year anniversary at Interim. Is it? <laughs> Happy anniversary. work anniversary. <laughs> work anniversary. That's right. Thank you. What was that like? And what were some of the challenges that you faced in that transition, you know, as you took that on? Well, so the first thing that, that I would say is one of the biggest challenges in the home care and hospice space from the beginning, you know, when I entered it in the mid-2000s, is the the kind of knowledge deficit that's out there in the community about uh-huh. the service that can be provided in the home. You know, we take care of everything from critically ill, three-day-old babies coming home from the hospital on ventilator support through personal care, supportive services, home health, skilled care, you know, post-surgery, pre-surgery, 
acute exacerbation, whatever it may be, through end of life and hospice and everything in between. And it, you know, I felt like from the time, like I said, that's why I came to this industry, but I felt like that was constantly the, you know, my, my soapbox. I felt like I was constantly going, hey, do you understand what we do here in home care? So that was already a challenge. And then we had this little thing called COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hit us, which obviously has been a huge challenge to the entire healthcare industry and home healthcare was no different. Although I think there were some unique challenges. For example, right out of the gate, fighting for essential worker status, believe it or not, at the very beginning, home health care was really left out of a lot of early conversations. And the original designation of essential worker did not include home health nurses. So we actually had nurses on their way to shifts to care for you know, critically ill patients that we had in the home. And they were getting turned around by officers because they weren't an essential. No kidding. So in early spring last year, middle of March, right when all this kind of hit, I spent a lot of time advocating with with others in our industry at the federal and state levels. And then Homeland Security then designated home health care nurses and workers as essential workers. So I worked to get that status for, quite frankly, 3.2 million home health care workers just in America that are ensuring that home care, you know, home health care professionals are part of the country's response to and continued recovery from the pandemic. So that was the first crazy challenge. Wow. The second crazy challenge with COVID is, again, believe it or not, because <laughs> I sit and think, how does this make sense? <laughs> with PPE distribution, we were finding that home health care was not prioritized to receive PPE. And so, again, we're caring for COVID patients in the home. We're caring for critical patients. And all of a sudden, we can't get gloves. We can't get gowns. We can't get masks. States that were doing distribution were not distributing to home care. And at the same time, these same states and government officials were saying, hospitals, free up your bed space, right, by 50%. And the way you free up bed space yeah. is the discharge, right, either to the nursing home or to home with home care. And the problem is that, you know, the nursing homes were dealing with so much with the infection and spread and all of that. So many people were opting for home care and we didn't have the PPE. So again, early on, my team and I, we recognized that personal protective equipment was going to become increasingly difficult, especially for the home healthcare industry. So I put together the industry's only website for sourcing personal protective equipment. And I opened up the website to competitors worldwide. And it was really about, and I can tell you, you can imagine that board conversation, right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> You're doing what now, Ms. Sheets? Yeah. Why are we helping them? But you know, from my perspective, it was all about making sure home health care had a voice, had a place. I, I've been quoted several times and I'll say it. Home health care is the answer to a response to a pandemic. I mean, it's where the, the virus is most minimized. It's where you control who enters and exits, right? That's it's right. where people want to be. And you don't have to worry about, you know, walking from this room to that room or what's on this person's shoes and that person's shoes if nurses are using equipment appropriately. So for me, it was about making sure we had to get the PPE and we had to get it at fair market prices. And by including competitors, it gave us an even bigger scale than what we had as interim healthcare, although that's very big. It gave us a bigger scale, a global scale. So we launched a website called ppforhomecare.org. And during the, the height of the pandemic, when nobody could get PPE, we distributed about 3 million units of critical wow. PPE across uh, 1,000 competitors in the U.S. and five countries. 
Good for you. That's like nursing innovation right there. That's fantastic. Thanks. You know, I think about, because what you're saying makes complete sense, right? And I feel like we start to hear a lot more about home health when COVID kind of really hit us and rocked us, right? And you're right. We were told to stay home. We're supposed to be doing this. And a lot more people were staying home, but were ill and still required, you know, some type of healthcare or nursing care. Yeah. And so I imagine that the need for home health workers and nurses also increased. At the same time, though, I'm always curious, did that present a challenge in the sense of where those workers saying, you know what, I don't know if I am feel good about this role in the home because of this pandemic that's happening? Were you having a hard time or did you see that that was a hard time trying to fill those roles? So I would say the ongoing challenge of caregiver shortage is in the home health industry as it is everywhere else in in care. And it's something that we're always working to address. What I would say specific to your point, initially, I think unintended consequences of some of the legislation that was being pushed out quickly, for example, incentive for people that were out of work, additional incentive, but no incentive for the people that were on the front lines fighting the battle. I think it just mm. didn't make a lot of sense. So yeah, know, we did have early on in pockets, believe it or not, again, across the country where we had caregivers saying, can you just lay me off? Because I can make more money at home and I don't have to expose my family to COVID. So obviously we had to do do a lot around trying to make sure that you know, we were providing the right resources, the right education. For example, you know, everybody trains on universal precautions and PP and all of that. But what we actually found when we started talking to our caregivers and a focus group of what do you need? Number one, they needed a big network because they were seeing things they had never seen before, which we could deliver. And the other thing that they were really worried about wasn't so much as nurses always, right? Not worried about themselves, but they were worried about carrying something unintentionally to their family. So we right. created a, a whole slew of training around how do you keep your family safe, right? Designate a hotspot, take off your clothes, take off your shoes, take off your badges, all that stuff in that designated hotspot. Here's how you bag them. Remember bag technique when you're dealing with infections, <laughs> the same way. Bag technique, it, take it to the washer. And there was such a nice uptick of just the connectedness, I think, around nurses The other thing that we did is we spent a lot of effort and dollars around recognizing the challenge and what they were doing. So we created, again, we created a website, COVID-19 at Interim Healthcare, and we let any nurse, any aide, any caregiver, any operations person, anybody put in questions every day. They were in by 12 o'clock. We answered on that day. So it could be, I'm seeing this. What are you hearing? CDC hasn't commented on X, Y, or Z. What should we do? And so we were, you know, and, and kudos again to my leadership team. We were meeting twice a day and we were we were assigning the questions and we were coming back and we were putting it out. So that allowed them this environment of not feeling like they were all by themselves. And then the other thing that we did is recognize the fact that at the same time, right, you're caring for patients and that new level, because there definitely was an influx to your point earlier into the home care space. You're dealing with more patients, but you're also dealing with the pandemic. That information comes out by the minute at the time. If you go back to where we were, right, Mark? Oh, yeah. By the minute, something changed. So you're constantly trying to make sure you're staying up on everything. And at the same time, now your kids are home because the schools (laughs) are virtual, right? And you're trying to figure out how do I manage all this? So we also did things like we worked with restaurants, food and beverage folks that were also suffering to say prepackaged dinners for us. 
let our nurses, when they end their shift, pick up their dinner and it's done and they can go home. They don't have to worry about how are they going to have to fix supper now that they've worked however many hours their shift is. We did the same thing with breakfast because we have two shifts, right? It's 24, yeah. 24, seven. So you could pick up a breakfast and take it home. So I think that's a lot of what, what we focused on. And at the same time, in the midst of the pandemic, obviously, a lot of people found themselves out of work. And when we started looking at that trend and what was happening, a lot of those people came with the stuff you can't teach, right? If you think about food and beverage, or you think about the hotel industry or, or, you know, the entertainment industry, these people come with a knack for customer service. They care about people. They wouldn't be doing what they were doing if they didn't. So we also put a lot of time and energy into how do we help those people realize that they were actually made for home care? They just don't know it yet. And so we launched an entire initiative called Made for This. And it was really a campaign to target those people who are looking for their next role, looking to make a transition and to highlight the fact that, that again, home health care offers a lot. It gives you flexibility in your scheduling. It gives you the ability to connect with something, a career with purpose and not an economy proof, but certainly an economy resistant, right? You're not going to be laid off in a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So that was a big part of our focus to meet that challenge was really to help people understand that a career in home health care is extremely rewarding. It spans the entire continuum of care. And while, you know, it certainly includes companionship and, and some of the lower level skill things on some sides, it also goes well beyond that, right? So ICU nurse, I guarantee you, you're going to be challenged. You're going to manage some of the most medically complex cases you ever had without a code blue button. That's right. right. And I think that that's that's really important when you think about, you know, for example, doing a a sterile dressing change and the cat jumps in the middle of the bed. That doesn't happen in the hospital, right? I wasn't trained for that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So we kind of pride ourselves in the fact that, you know, at interim, we provide holistic person care approach. And a lot of people say that, but one of the things I launched in 2019 was an expansion to what we call home life enrichment. So instead of like everybody out there, right, having a heart failure program or a COPD program or a diabetes program, we have all of it under home life enrichment, which looks at not only standards of clinical care, what are best practice, but it's also rooted in kind of the four what I call core pillars of healing, which is the mind and the body and the spirit and the family. What are those other things that can impact somebody's ability to heal? So that was a lot, but that's kind of been a nutshell what we've done to try to kind of help make sure that we respond to the increased demand for our service and that we help clinicians or non-clinicians figure out that they were actually made for home care. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, a lot of smart, different tasks and ways to reach and support people that are overlooked. The meals alone. I mean, that's smart. Amazing. What about technology? So as I think about technology in all of its forms and thinking about home health and thinking about the pandemic and kind of the limits that we have, how has that, you know, helped to shape or kind of move the evolution of home care? Yeah. So technology, you know, technology that can connect across multiple settings and facilitate kind of that cross-continuum collaboration. The challenge I see in healthcare delivery, and again, it's part of why I made the transition, is that it is very siloed still. And when you look at within each setting, the things that are happening and the legislation that's being passed and whatever it may be, it is usually very specific to this little niche. 
And in reality, we should all be driving to the same thing, no matter what setting we're in. And that is how many happy, healthy days at home can this person have? That should be the yeah. goal. And so you're beginning to look at how do you connect across multiple settings, facilitate that collaboration, you know, whether it's process improvement, whether it's a handoff, data collection, telehealth certainly has a place, communication yeah. tools. Those are the things I think that make a difference. And when I think for us, one example that comes to mind is we partnered with a company called Access. And this was a home health care technology company that provides software solutions to, to 2 million patients right now. And their whole focus is on integrating care, not only in the home and in the community, with those acute care systems. And so we love that focus. First time I met the founder of Access, his comments to me was, I know that the future of healthcare is in the home and I want to figure out how to be a part of it and how to make it you know, work the way it should and coordinate with all settings. And so it's been wonderful working with them, integrating over the last year. We're now using it in 300 locations. And what we're really seeing is discernible benefits and the ability to provide not only operational efficiencies, right? You always want that with technology, but it's also been a game changer in the ability to connect information. So for example, I have a nurse that calls off. I can put in, hey, I have this opening. It can automatically go out to nurses and whatever zip code to say, would you like to pick up a shift? And so just those things like that of just getting people the care that they need and making sure that we are generating that open line of communication back with the acute care systems. Nice. So you mentioned a lot. I'm picking up on this. And so now I'm feeling smarter than I ever was. <laughs> the future of healthcare, right, in the home. And I think you're totally right. Do you think, in your opinion, that we'll see more franchises of like home care similar to what interim healthcare and home care is doing? Or what does that look like, do you think, the future? Yeah. So the first part of that question I will answer is you won't see anybody doing what interim healthcare is doing. <laughs> we are in a category of one in that, you know, most franchise organizations, certainly in the home health space or, or the healthcare space, again, focus on one area. So whether that is supporting services, picking up medications or helping with dressing or, or really those non-skilled services, yeah. again, we provide the whole continuum. So so we're category one. So I just want to make sure that's out there. Loud and clear. <laughs> but the other thing is that we are absolutely seeing increased franchise ownership demand. Again, yeah. going back to the fact that it used to be people that, for the most part, that wanted to come into franchise organizations were people that were entrepreneurial spirited, wanted to be able to exercise that, to be the leader, to develop their business, to impact their communities. And we've seen that shift to where we're still seeing those folks, but we're also seeing very sophisticated private investment groups. We're seeing family investment groups come in and say, you know what, I'm done investing in whatever, this kind of business, because, and I'll, I'll give you a great example. I had, I was on a call with one the other day who said I went from 870 locations globally to zero when the pandemic hit, because I'm not an essential business. And so people are looking for that investment again I wouldn't say we're economy proof, but we're pretty darn close. And so, you know, people are looking for that opportunity. They see kind of the, what we're hearing, you know, now and the new ones that we've had coming on is they're really seeing that sound benefit of purchasing an ARM healthcare franchise, 
our continued growth potential. Certainly when you, when you combine that with all of the factors hitting us at the same time, we already had the, the aging baby boomer population or the silver tsunami, right, coming into that. Yeah. And now we yeah. have COVID and now we have this. And so it's just constant. So people are living longer, right? Life expectancy has grown, which means they're living with chronic conditions for longer, meaning they need more home care and there's more of them. And yeah. we have a pandemic on top of it. So, you know, they're really taking, it's been really cool to see people take their expertise that they've gained from years of working in other industries and being able to apply it to home care. And what I really love hearing, and I had, you know, this conversation with a CFO that is now an owner that came from a very large organization. And his comment was, you know, I, I know I was doing good where I was before, but I love the fact that I'm now seeing people, you know, at, church on the street in the grocery store that are saying, hey, I had your service and let me tell you how great it was. And he said, I just feel like I am so much closer to a part of you know impacting my community. And I love that. And that's what we're seeing. So I think you are going to see more and more. Awesome. That's a good feeling, right? Not just to, yeah, we know we're doing good, but to feel it, right? To feel that good. That's fantastic. The folks that are listening in now thinking, you know, they're entering their healthcare career for the first time. They're brand new healthcare professionals. They want to get in there, meet the challenges of the moment, but maybe feel like, I don't know how, what am I getting into? What would be your advice to them about doing that? So first I would say, number one, welcome to healthcare. <laughs> it's the best place in the world. Agree. And the other thing that I would say is make sure that you're always hungry for knowledge always looking for how else you can improve your knowledge base, but also never forget who you're caring for and that every person that you care for is somebody's family member. And I think if you, I used to say this all the time when I used to teach nursing students, I used to say, if you ever get to the point that a bad outcome doesn't bother you, quit. You're not in the right profession. You know what I mean? You have right. to be called a servant leadership. And so, you know, I would say to people out there entering healthcare, Certainly think about home health care. And I think, again, that the benefits there are the flexible schedule and the ability to connect long term with somebody. It's about more personalized, innovative solutions like we just talked about with the cat jumping in the bed <laughs> and ultimately delivering better outcomes. So the more we can educate ourselves as clinicians or as healthcare workers not only on all of the benefits and options for our patients, but on home care services the better care that, quite frankly, all the people out there that we all should serve as healthcare workers will receive. Jennifer, this was amazing. I, I've learned a lot about home healthcare, more than I, I think I've ever had the conversations in just all my own career of nursing. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed it. Anytime, anytime. I'm Jonna Emil. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>